not. We get along reasonably well most of the time, and he really is from Canada. Hey, welcome to Renaissance, and uh, as Paul mentioned, my name is Clay. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to see you guys out this morning, and if today is your first time here at Renaissance, uh, I'd love to chat with you after the service. Come on up and uh, say hi. We can talk for a couple minutes, and also stop by our info center because the folks there would love to uh, answer any questions that you may have about Renaissance. Uh, so as Paul was saying, we're in the middle of a series of messages that we're calling Acts of God. And we're looking at what God did through 11 guys, uh, the remaining 11 apostles after uh, Jesus had died and risen again, and how God used those 11 men to change the world. And we are here today worshiping Jesus uh, in large part because God used these 11 guys to spread the good news about what Jesus had done. And it's reached, you know, all the way here to Summit, New Jersey over these last uh, couple of thousand years. And each year we like to choose a verse of the year. And this year our verse of the year is Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. He's saying, you're gonna start where you are. For them, it was in Jerusalem. For us, it's in Summit or Short Hills, or Milburn, or New Providence, or Chatham, or wherever you are. And you're going to be, Jesus is saying, my witnesses, you're going to tell people what you have seen and heard and learned from me, and spread that throughout the whole world. And, and as I mentioned, it's reached here uh, to Summit, New Jersey. And last week, if you were here last week, you'll remember that Rob King, who was one of the founders of Renaissance, shared his story about how he came to faith in Christ when he was a freshman uh, in college, and he shared about how that experience and another experience in his life really motivated him and his wife and several other people to found Renaissance Church over a decade ago to create a church where people who wouldn't normally come to church would be able to come, feel comfortable being here, hear the message of Jesus, and come to know him in the same way uh, that Rob had come to faith in Christ. And he talked about how God used his freshman year physics lab partner, interestingly, to challenge him and uh, as a catalyst to help him to come to faith in Christ. And as I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago and several of us were talking about it, we decided it would be helpful to allow his, uh, to give his lab partner equal time uh, to share her side of the story. And so I've asked uh, Nancy King, who was his freshman physics lab partner and is now his life partner, to come on up and uh, we're gonna just have a conversation for the next uh, half hour or so and talk about from her perspective, what was all that like. So please do welcome Nancy as she come on, comes up. So Nancy, let's just kind of dive right in here. Last week, Robbie <laughs> mentioned that he had written you this long letter that kind of started off by saying something to the effect of, I used to think that you had a brain and now I know that you don't, after you had told him about Jesus. How did you, how did you feel when you saw that letter? What was your, your reaction, your response to all that? That it would take an act of God for Robbie King to become a Christian. <laughs> um, well, I mean, nobody wants to be told they're stupid, um, but I had a lot of confidence in my faith. Um, I wasn't brought up in the church, and in fact, when you and I were discussing this week, I was telling you, I barely ever went to a church service growing up because I always thought those were for families. I felt kind of uncomfortable as a teen by myself. But I had spent 
quite a bit of time reading the Bible on my own. I had spent a lot of time praying with God. Um, and God had really been with me growing up. It wasn't an easy growing up. And I had had numerous experiences um, where I could see the hand of God at work. And if you remember, um, between Christmas and New Year, Peter Pendel did a sermon where yes. he urged us to trace it back, to um, look at what's happening in our life and trace it back to the origin so that we could see what God had done. And um, I think somehow I had been taught or absorbed that in my experiences. And so I had um, come along seeing God do things for me, be with me, help me, um, even when things were hard. So, so, was your, so then was your confidence to share your faith with him, was that in your experiences or in the things you had learned in church or in God? I mean, how did that kind of pull together in that way? Um, I think it was two things. I mean, I had limited, I'd never read a Christian book. You and I were marveling at that this week. I didn't really know they existed. Yeah. I mean, I'd read the Bible, but I had no idea anybody wrote books about stuff. Um, but, so I didn't have, you know, an apologetic background, or I hadn't read C.S. Lewis. What do you mean by apologetics? I didn't, nobody had ever taught me, oh, this is the way you prove the existence of God, or this is the way you prove that Jesus was God. I, I didn't know anything about that. Um, but I had read the Bible, and I had thought, I think I was reasonably intelligent, so I had thought about it, and I thought that my faith was reasonable. I thought that what the God of the Bible best explained what I saw in the world around me. So I didn't think it was stupid. I didn't think it was lacking in intellectual integrity. In fact, exactly the opposite. So I had some confidence in that intellectual piece. Right. And then, um, as I said, I'd had a lot of experiences. One of the experiences, I think, that really probably gave me the most confidence that my faith was real and true, that God was real, is um, just nine months before I met Robbie, um, I had had a really bad case of mono, and I was in the hospital for three weeks unconscious. So this is your senior year in high school? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so senior year in high school, you spent three weeks in the hospital unconscious, you said? Yeah, I, it was a small main hospital. I don't want to get too medical here. I might be, <laughs> I might be wrong. Um, yeah, I was unconscious or in and out of consciousness, and the doctors definitely thought I was going to die. Um, and I thought I was going to die. And I was never afraid during that time. Hmm. Um, I felt that Jesus was right there in the room with me. Um, I, I don't think I was looking forward to dying, but there was no fear. And then when I did come to, the doctors told me that they thought I had brain damage. Which explains some things. <laughs> Just <kidding. laughs> How long have we been friends? <laughs> a long time. <laughs> huh. um, but it's over now. Um, the friendship or the brain damage? <laughs> <laughs> no brain damage. Nancy is one of the smartest people I know. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. But, um, but I really thought a lot about that. They, their, their methodology at that time was that I wasn't allowed to read or watch TV. I just had to lie in bed and hope that my brain healed. And so... I did have a lot of time to think, and I started thinking, like, who am I if I'm not very smart? Because I kind of rested in that. Um, who, who am I? Like, can I know God? Can I have a relationship with God if I'm not able to think? And, um, and I 
I mean, I, I remember thinking, well, certainly somebody who's mentally handicapped, whether by birth or by accident or disease, certainly they can know God. And so I came to a deeper understanding of who God was and how he, it's he who initiates the relationship with us and it's our heart that responds to God in addition to whatever brain power we have. So then there, you really didn't feel intimidated as he's challenging you then intellectually because there was a depth to your faith, both in terms of understanding intellectually that, that there's truth and it's a reality, but also you had a personal experience with Christ that led you to feel confident in, in sharing your faith. I'm putting words in your mouth, but is that, is that yeah, fair? I, I'd say that's true. I think it's kind of like a... Um, you know, our, our verse of the year says that we're supposed to be witnesses. We can only witness what we know, right? right? When you're in court and you're a witness for a case, you're not the prosecutor, you're not the defender, you're not the judge, you're the witness. And if you and I are both witnesses, I'm going to witness what I saw and you're going to witness what you saw. So I guess I was also confident um, that God was only going to ask me to talk about what I could talk about. Right. Um, a little teeny funny story is we were physics lab partners, right? We were in that advanced physics class. The one that I didn't take. Right. And I had no business being in that class. I am not good at mechanics. I have... The only reason I was in that class is an act of God, that God gave me a good enough score on that first test that they put me in there. And proof of that, since you think I might think I'm being a little too modest, is at the end of the class, they said to the 15 of us, well, you 14 will want to move on to this class next time, and Nancy, you can go back to the regular class. <laughs> it was so obvious that he could say that publicly. Um, um, but I thought God brought me in here. God put me in this lab group. I didn't choose Robbie. The, we were put into lab groups. And so here he was. It was my responsibility. He was, I didn't particularly like him. He was arrogant. He was obnoxious. But he was my responsibility because God brought him into my life. So why did you feel like he was your responsibility? If you didn't really like him, if he's arrogant, obnoxious, why did you actually care about, about him other than that you needed to work together as lab partners? Um, well, I knew we both were going to be chemical engineers. We were going to spend the next four years together because chemical engineers have to take all the same classes and they're in everything together. So he was a little bit like gum on my shoe. He wasn't going to go away. <laughs> um, and even though he looked, um, you know, seemed like he had it all together, he certainly thought he did. Um, I knew that he, like anybody else, had what I think is attributed to Pascal as that God-shaped hole in him. I knew he was stuffing it full of success and thinking he was good and all those kind of things, but those things were going to fail him. Um, you know, I knew that at some point he was going to have to think about maybe he would have a, a near-death experience or maybe his parents would die or something. You know, none of us can cheat death. So at some point he was going to have to face his own mortality and think about that. At some point, there would be something that happened. So then, did you just, just kind of like back up the theological dump truck and pour out you know, the, all the beliefs of Christianity on him kind of at once, and, you know, or how did, that, how did that happen? Well, no, not at all. I mean, I think kind of like uh, Peter Pendel talked about, I tried to share in my life um, 
things that God had done and was doing. Uh, I mean, if you're a Christian, you ought to be seeing things in your life that God's, God's doing. If you're not, I don't know what kind of relationship you have with God. Maybe you ought to ask yourself about that. So, like, I remember specifically, I told him about the mono and how I thought God was with me. I mean, he told me that was stupid, but I told him anyway. And um, I remember another story that he kind of dismissed, but I shared was when I came to visit Princeton. I'm from Maine. We don't have public transportation. I had never been on a bus. I had never been on a train. And I took a bus from Brunswick to Portland, a bus from Portland to Boston, train from Boston, New York, train to Princeton Junction, the dinky end to Princeton. I had no idea what I was doing. I actually thought Princeton was in New York, so this whole thing was mysterious to me. Um, but all along that way, God provided help for me. Like, in Boston, there was a woman who said to her three kids, come on, guys, we're going to miss the train to New York, so I just followed her. Um, on the ride from New York to Princeton, a woman started talking to me. She actually bought me my ticket for the dinky and took me out onto the platform. When I got to Princeton, there was a guy standing at the train station. He said, oh, are you here for Madeline? And I said, yeah. He goes, you're Nancy Prince? And I said, yeah. And he said, oh, come with me. He just happened to be walking right by the train station. Madeline, this random person who was assigned to me, didn't know when I was coming, and he took me to her dorm. And to me, that was God, God leading me every step of the way. So I remember that I had shared that story, and he's like, ah, coincidence. So, so then... So you share that story, you talk to him about how God had worked in your life, and then, you know, how else did you explain your faith to him? Um, well, I think we're going to get to it a little bit later. I didn't really dump sort of the whole, Jesus died on the cross, you know, you're a sinner, Jesus died on the cross, you need forgiveness, uh, ask Jesus to forgive you. I, I didn't do that, because yeah. that, it just didn't feel like the right time. So really... Um, I'm not sure I was really nice to him because he wanted to date me and I didn't want to date him. So, <laughs> And um, I certainly couldn't let him copy my physics homework since I was not doing very well on the physics homework. <laughs> so I think I just was sort of a normal person. So would you have these kinds of conversations with other people as well from time to time? Oh, people yeah. People you interacted with? So it's kind of natural for you to, to, to be doing this. Yeah, I mean, I think you don't want to be really obnoxious. Um, there's a Bible verse I like. It's in First Peter. Peter, one of the founders of the church, right? He's writing to a church, I think, that was going through a lot of troubles, yeah. and he says, um, and he's trying to build up their confidence in their faith. And in the middle of building up their confidence, he says, you need to have in your heart, you need to have ready a reason for the hope that is in you. So if somebody, he was trying to tell them, if somebody asks you, you need to be able to explain what you believe and why. Not just what, but the reason for the hope that is in you. But then he goes on to say, but you need to do it with gentleness and respect. So truckload of Bible words is not very gentle and respectful. So then how did you learn how to do this? You mentioned that you didn't really have any specific, you know, training. <clears throat> there was no, like, Sunday school class in your church where they taught you this. Or, you know, how did you learn how to, how to do this, to share your faith? I don't know that I did learn how to do it. Just um, kind of did it as, it as it came along? Yeah, I was thinking, because you asked me that question earlier this week, and I was thinking about it. And um, I mean, I did have some experience, because I read my Bible and I prayed, so I knew God. But I didn't have, like, some pat answer or something to say. And I was thinking about this story that um, when Joshua, our um, son, 
who's now 22. When he was two weeks old, we were in Maine, and um, he stopped breathing and his heart stopped. And he turned all blue, and the nearest hospital was 11 miles away, and maybe I'd taken CPR 10 years earlier or something, but I really didn't know what I was doing. 15 compressions, 10 compressions, three breasts, five, I, I didn't really know what I was doing, but he was blue, like, he was blue. I needed, to, I needed to do something. So I don't really know what I did. I breathed into his mouth, I did some compressions, I breathed into his mouth, I did some compressions. It seemed like it lasted forever, but eventually he did a big sigh and whatever and started breathing again. And so I was thinking that I could have said, oh, Robbie, let's just wait till the ambulance come because they're the professionals. They'll know how to do this right. Or I could have, well, I couldn't like Wikipedia the CPR. There weren't cell phones and internet back then. But um, I could have tried to get the right information. I could have even waited. He actually started call, he went on the phone and started calling right away. I could have waited. But this was my son. He was dead. He wasn't breathing. His heart was stopped. And so I think had I not just done what I could do, I'd be visiting cemeteries instead of planning a wedding. And I think that's the same thing with our friends. We want our friends to know Jesus. We're not perfect. Uh, you know, they probably saw us lose our temper. They probably saw us be bad parents or probably saw us be catty about somebody. So I could wait till I'm perfect or I could wait till I got to take six classes on this. But that's probably too late. So I think we share what we know. We, it's not us anyway. When we're sharing, hopefully it's God working through us. My responsibility is to share what I can. Um, God will provide the power. God will yeah. help the person to understand it in a way that's helpful to them. Yeah. That's not my job. I like what you said about it's God working through us. The beginning of our year verses, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you'll be my witnesses. So the Holy Spirit worked in you, through you, and in him to help him to understand and to convince him of, of, of the truth of, of Christianity at this point. I mean, I sort of said it jokingly at the beginning, but every person who comes to Jesus, it truly is an act of God. We're not going to ever win anybody by having the smartest, best thought out argument. We're never going to, I can never love somebody enough that they're going to want to accept my God. Right. It's only when God works in their heart. I think our part, though, so if we're not Christians, we need to open our heart and let God do some work. And I think Robbie mentioned last week, at some point, he just said, um, I, don't, I don't know much about you, God, but I actually think you exist. Show me who you are. Mm. So that was a little opening of his heart. It took a little bit longer before he saw that he was really a person who needed a savior, who needed forgiveness. Um, so I think everybody, we all need to do that. And yeah. if we haven't done that, I hope people will think about that. But if we're Christians, if we're already following Jesus, I think we need to be open to doing what God puts in front of us, what God puts in our heart. You know, like sometimes, I'm sure you have this, like you're talking to somebody and you think, oh, I could, you know, I could tell them how God did this or I could say that or they might think I'm stupid so I won't. I think it's yielding to those little moments rather than having an excuse for why it's not the best time. Right, right. So then were you, so you've got this relationship with him. You guys are lab partners. You're spending hours every week together. Unfortunately. Okay. 
<laughs> That's good. Is, is he here today? Anyway, not yet. Not yet. He'll be here next service. So, um, so you're spending, you know, you're spending this time together. You care about his spiritual state, his his need for Christ. Uh, you're having these conversations with him. It's fairly natural, etc. Is there anybody else involved in this whole thing, or is it pretty much just you and you're praying and you know, Lord, what do I say to this? semi-obnoxious guy who needs you more than he realizes. I mean, you know, who else was involved in all this? Well, um, after I wrote my initial letter to him and told him about um, who I thought Jesus was, um, he said, he probably said last week that I challenged him to read the New Testament. So then he comes back from reading the New Testament after Christmas, and he's just like wailing on me with all these questions, and I don't really have many answers. So I said, well, look, I go to this church, and again, act of God, the church I happened to go to at that time, which I found in the yellow pages, everybody in that church was a chemist or a chemical engineer. I was getting a ride, in fact, from this guy, Steve Bondison, who was working on his PhD in, in organic chemistry, and his wife was in organic chemistry with a master's degree. So I thought, you know what, these are probably people Robbie would expect, respect, and they're all chemists and chemical engineers, so they speak his language. So I took him to church with me, and he'd listen to the sermon, and then he would berate me over lunch that day or brunch that day, telling me all the things that were wrong. But he started to talk to people after church. Steve Bondison started meeting him for lunch occasionally, and Robbie could get some of his questions answered there. Um, and then one week, we're standing in line for um, brunch, and you know, he's going on and on with these questions that are pretty much over my head. And this guy behind us says, oh, it sounds like you went to church and you're talking about your sermon. What was your sermon about? So we start talking to him, and turns out that he was Paul, your roommate, one of the smartest physicists I've ever met. And Paul had a lot more equipment than I did to answer that, those questions. So Paul started meeting with him and talking about it. Interestingly, this week, we just found out, right, that Paul came back and told Clegg, hey, um, I just met these people in commons, and she's a Christian, he's not, he has all these qu qu um, questions, let's pray for him. So Paul and Clay, never, Clay never having I met never Robbie, met him. Yeah. is praying for Robbie to become a Christian. And we just figured that out this week, because he didn't know that it was Paul, we, he just didn't know that part of the story. Yeah. So that's a pretty interesting thing. Is, so I didn't think like, oh, I have to be there the moment he falls on his knees and becomes a Christian. I, I didn't think that. I thought, I need to do what I'm doing. I sure hope God sends some other people to help me. And he did. He sent this church. He sent Paul. He sent Clay's prayers. I don't think you ever talked to Robbie. Never did. Never right. until after he was following Christ. I never, right. never actually met him, I don't think. Yeah. So I think, it's, I think that's normal, too. I think it's really rare that one person does the whole process with a person as they become a Christian. Yeah, there's actually a statistic that says it takes an average of about five people before someone will become a Christian. In other words, they've got relationships with three, four, five, six, seven different people is part of many people coming to faith in Christ. So, yeah. So there wasn't really then a coordinated effort between you and Paul and the people at the church. Actually, with knowing Paul, there's not going to be a lot of coordination on anything there. But No. Yeah. He's the typical scatterbrain professor. Yeah, yeah, he is. But he's And he had the hair to go with it at those I know. days. He was, just, he was amazing. Anyway, love, love that guy. So, okay, so let's jump forward, you know, 
however many years, we won't say how many years it's been, and you know, you guys are married, which you mentioned, by the way, your maiden name was? Prince. And you married? A king. And so therefore it was the <laughs> royal, royal wedding. wedding. Yes, wasn't that good? You like that? And Clay so, was the best man. There we go. We've, in case you didn't catch on, we went to college together, and so we've known each other for a couple of years, and it's, it's been fun. But, um, okay, so, so you and, and Robbie and some other people are talking about starting Renaissance, and Robbie mentioned this you know, last week. What was important to you guys when you started Renaissance, from your perspective? He shared a little bit, but I'd love for you to, for you to share from your perspective. What was important to you guys? Well, I think some of it's like Robbie's story, that I, you know, I was talking to people about my faith, and I didn't have a place I felt comfortable bringing them. I wanted them to know other Christians. I wanted them to be able to come and ask questions the way Robbie asked questions of Steve Bondison and some of the other people at that church. I wanted there to be Pauls in their life. I didn't want to, I knew I couldn't be. Like, I didn't want the gospel according to Nancy King. Like, that's not very good. It's the God, we're, we're all the church. And God, I think, created the church so that we together as a body can um, help people in their journey. And so um, we didn't initially want to start a church, but it became obvious that what we wanted was for our friends to be exposed to uh, somewhat normal Christians. <laughs> and the only way that was really going to happen was to have a church. So we wanted a place people could come, feel comfortable, feel comfortable no matter where they were on their journey, even if they were at the calling other people screwy, non-intelligent people stage. Um, we wanted, I wanted, um, I wanted when people came that they go, oh, there's that guy Clay, he looks just like me, he acts sort of like me, and yet he believes something different. Okay, this isn't that weird. That, I guess that's what we were going for. So you told me, you told me a story some, actually uh, some years ago of how at, uh, when Renaissance was first started, after the service you would kind of debrief and talk with one another about the Christianese, the, the churchy words and stuff that were used. Tell, tell me about that a little bit. What, was, what well, was that like? And why was that so important that you guys would debrief in that way after every service at the beginning? Well, I think that, um, you know, I said that I read the Bible, and that's how I knew Jesus. I hadn't read books. I, there were no podcasts. I think sometimes as Christians, it's really easy for us to... Um, develop our own little culture with our own little buzzwords. So, for example, Meredith and I, Meredith's my youngest daughter, we visited a um, Christian college about a year and a half ago, um, and the couple's secretaries were talking while we were there. And Meredith turned to me and she said, I have no idea what they were saying, what they're saying, because they were using all sort of these buzz, Christian buzzwords that she just wasn't familiar with. And I just think it's sad, you know, when Jesus in the Bible, when he talked to people, he talked in their language. We get a little confused because we don't know a lot about growing wheat or sheep because we don't do that. But the people who were listening to Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. So I think um, when we start using terminology and words that are not common in our everyday life, we're alienating people who aren't part of us. And that's really sad because I think um, the message of Jesus is pretty hard. We shouldn't put any other barriers between a person and the message. So how do you balance removing those barriers with not 
just say watering down and you know reducing the message and making it more or less offensive you know in in some sense how do you how do you deal with that that balance there i think it's that first peter verse right that you have to have a reason for the hope that is within you but you do it with gentleness and respect you know you're not you're not trying to get another notch in your belt. You're not trying to put another feather in your cap. You love these people. Like, um, I know you've had some Lyme disease in your family. Right. So you and Anne are so happy to help people through the Lyme disease process. Well, I know what Jesus has done for me. I want that for other people. So it's not something I'm trying to cram down their throat. It's something I want to do to help them. So I think the key is you need to love people. So do you feel... Do you feel an obligation to tell them about Jesus? I mean, you say you want to, but do you feel some sort of a duty or an obligation? I don't know where you draw that line, actually, right? Um, like coming to church this morning, God tells us, come together. Don't, don't, um, don't not come together. Always come, you know, come together and enjoy one another. Come together and worship me. So he tells us to do that. So if I come, am I coming out of duty or am I coming because I love to come? The line's a little fine. Sometimes I come out of duty and when I get here, I'm really glad I've come and I'm coming out of... So I think it is our job, so to right. speak, but I also think um, if we truly love Jesus and we truly love each other, it happens naturally. It happens naturally. Yeah, that makes sense. So then, okay, so then let's kind of go back then to, you know, to, to your freshman year and... You, at some point along the way, you'd had a lot of different conversations. Uh, you know, different people had interacted with Robbie and had shared their thoughts, their faith, etc. But you came to a point where you felt like I need to put it together a, a little more succinctly, or maybe add some details that I hadn't had be added before. Why? And 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 tell me about that. Why did you go ahead and do that? And what was involved in that? Um, well, I thought I had a. It was Christmas time. So I thought I had a natural opportunity. Christmas is the birth of Jesus. So it's pretty easy or natural to say this is what I think about the birth of Jesus. Um, lab was over. Right. <laughs> Little did I know we would continue to be lab partners. But, you know, at the moment I didn't know that. Um, so our relationship was going to change a little. We weren't going to see each other every whatever it was, Wednesday afternoon for four hours. Um, it just felt like the right time. And I was praying. I was asking God to give me an opportunity. Yeah, so then, so then you wrote him this letter, which he talked about a little bit last week, you know, and, and mentioned. But as you and I, in the last couple of weeks, have been talking about this, you said you dreaded, you found the letter, uh, you found some of the correspondence that you guys had when you were students, and you found that letter that you'd written to him. And you said, you, you mentioned to me that you actually dreaded uh, looking at that letter, why were you, why were you worried about looking at that letter again? Have you reread any letters you wrote when you were 18 <laughs> years old <laughs> to somebody you didn't particularly like that you're now married to? <laughs> okay. Well, and I, as I said, I didn't have training. I, all I, my letters to Anne, by the way, were just wonder. They were perfect, and you know. Where's Anne? <laughs> she's downstairs with the kids, which is why I'll say it at this service, but not the next one. <laughs> Uh, you know, I knew, when we teach leadership class, Clay and I are on the spiritual formation team, 
along with some other people. And one of the, the fun things we get to do is um, we train our small group leaders. And one of the things we talk about in that class is how to tell people about Jesus. I mean, it's a great thing. And it's a lot of fun because we do some practicing and it's just fun to hear everybody's different perspectives. But I think actually the fav my favorite part of that class is we go through a bunch of Bible passages where Paul or Peter or Jesus or John explains who Jesus is and what he's done. And I love to see the variety of that. Everybody has their own personality in it. Um, most of the time they don't, you know, do six steps to this or ten steps to that. It's, it's a piece. It's a picture, a snapshot of who Jesus is. And I just, that's so encouraging to me that we don't have to be, we don't have to, as you said, dump the whole truck. We just need to say what God has put on our heart. So um, I didn't really remember what I said. I thought maybe I was pretty churchy. because So now I've become the Christianese police. And I was thinking, oh, no, what did I say? I probably used all these churchy words. And I might have said something really embarrassing. Like, I just didn't know. I was 18 and not very well trained. So it was a little scary. So would you, actually, I know the answer is yes. Would you be willing to share what you wrote, just at least a piece of that, share that with everybody? Because as you shared it with me, I just thought, this is, you know, for an 18-year-old, this is a really great summary of our faith in Christ. Would you, would sure. you read that for us? As long as everybody remembers I was 18. <laughs> and I'm not anymore. <laughs> um, dear Robbie, and I just have to interrupt. I didn't even spell his name right. He's R-O-B-B-Y. I spelled it R-O-B-B-I-E. I, I can't believe that. Anyway, so I didn't even know him well enough to spell his name right. Dear Robbie, I think now, this Christmas season, is the appropriate time to share a bit more of myself with you. You see, my peace, my joy, is not just a result of my personality. I told you once that my religion is important to me. That's wrong. Religion, mechanical services, and traditions aren't. God and Christ are. I believe that God really did send his son to earth many years ago, and that that babe matured and became, yes, a great man. However, he was not just a man. He was God. Then, most importantly, that God-man died on the cross so that I can have complete interaction and community with God. I no longer have to be trapped by the hassles of this world like a, the hassles of this world. Like a child, I can depend on my father. This is not a blind faith because God gave me a mind and he expects me to use it. I was already anticipating the answer. <laughs> but he's always there, hoping that I will, not, I will trust but never forcing me. My joy comes from this. It's easy, sort of. One only must trust in Christ, believe with his heart that Christ died for him, and then accept Christ as Savior. Robbie, this is me. It's not a phony or superficial faith. It's from the very depths of my heart. I consider it a strength, not a blind weakness. I hope that this will make you think. Merry Christmas, Robbie. Merry Christmas. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I think one of the things that impresses me the most about that letter is Nancy was 18 years old, uh, college freshman, just in the course of her relationship with a friend who she just had to spend time with, she cared enough to share from her heart to take the risk, to take the chance to share um, her faith 
with him. And she didn't have any training. She hadn't read any books. The church that you grew up in didn't really prepare you for this. But you knew Jesus, and you knew, you know, she knew that Robbie needed uh, to know Jesus as well. And God used her words. God used the words of several other people, uh, including our, our mutual friend Paul and, and people at her church. And God used the word of God, the scripture, you know, the Jesus' words in, in the Bible. And his spirit worked in Robbie's heart. And Robbie came to faith in, in, in Jesus. And I think what's encouraging to me is it, it means that God can use any of us, uh, whether you have seminary training or whether you just recently came to faith in Christ. Um, God can use you to help other people uh, to come to know him as well. And that's what we're here, uh, that's what we're about here at Renaissance. We want to be a place where we can have the conversations that Nancy and Robbie had in the lab about Jesus, where somebody can say to somebody else, you know, that sounds pretty stupid, but let's keep talking about that. Um, where we can ask those questions and not be afraid that someone's gonna say, you're stupid for asking uh, that question. And last week when, when Rob spoke, when he shared his side of the story, at the end of his, uh, at the end of his talk, he encouraged us to each pick somebody whom we know, whether it's a friend, whether it's a neighbor, a coworker, a relative, somebody we know uh, who needs to know Jesus uh, in the way that he came, that Robbie came uh, to know Jesus. And he, he encouraged us to pray for that person every day uh, this, this year. And I've been praying for my person uh, throughout this week. And what I want to encourage you guys to do is do exactly what he said and pray for that person. And, and if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've come to the point where you listen to what Nancy wrote in her letter to Robbie and you say, yes, I agree with that. I realize that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. If that's where you are today, let me encourage you, don't just simply pray that God would work in the heart of your friend. Certainly pray that. But add to that prayer, ask him how he wants to use you in their life. Ask him to give you the words. Ask him to give you the courage. Ask him to give you the desire to tell them about Jesus. Just from your experience, the little bit that you know, ask him to give you the courage, the desire, maybe to invite them to come to Renaissance or to read a book or whatever it might be. Ask him to show you how he wants to use you uh, in, in their life. But also, as, as Rob mentioned last week, if you're here this morning and you're like he was back in his freshman year in college, and you're saying, I don't know about this whole thing about Jesus. I've taken that step. I've walked up those 500 steps, you know, up into Renaissance, and I'm hearing a little bit about Jesus every week. I'm asking some questions. I'm learning. Continue to pray for yourself and, and ask God to reveal yourself to him. I think you mentioned to me, that he, that Robbie asked God and said, okay, I think you might exist, so why don't you show yourself uh, to me? But ask yourself this question as well. If Nancy or someone like her had written that letter to you and had told you about her faith in Christ, what would be your response? How do you respond to the claims of Jesus this morning? And ask yourself that question and pray and ask God uh, to reveal yourself to him. Because I believe that's a prayer 
that he absolutely, positively does want to answer. And if you have questions, if you want to talk to somebody, grab me after the service. Nancy and I will be hanging out up front. You can talk to her. You can talk to me. There are other people around, maybe a person who brought you, different staff member. We would love to talk to you, answer questions that you may have, and help you to work through the issues surrounding who we are, who God is, who Jesus is, and how we can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us for a minute here. Father, I thank you. Um, I thank you for the Kings. I thank you for the Tobiches. I thank you for Carol Webster and for the, the others um, whom you used uh, 15 years or so ago to start Renaissance Church. And I thank you how you worked uh, in their lives. I thank you for how you've worked in my life here at Renaissance and in the lives of, of so many other people. And Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have of, of being here this morning. Uh, thank you for Nancy and her willingness to share uh, from her heart what you did in her life and how you used her uh, as well in Rob's life. And I pray for each of us that our desire, if we're followers of Jesus, I pray that our desire would be to share our faith with the people around us, to tell them of the incredible love that you have for us and the, and the difference that can make in our lives. I pray for those of us who may not yet be followers of Jesus who are kind of wrestling and working through these things. Pray that you would reveal yourself. I pray that uh, people would feel comfortable asking questions. Pray that uh, those of us who know you would feel uh, comfortable giving answers and explaining and even being willing to say uh, when we don't know. And I thank you for how you've worked powerfully here uh, over uh, the past decade or so, and I pray that by your grace you would continue to, to do so, uh, so that you would be glorified, but also so that we would be blessed and so that the world might be changed. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks you guys for coming out this morning, and we would love for you to come back to the Super Bowl party uh, this evening. Thanks. Can't stop your love for me. Can't stop your love.